Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 529 with Nate Tilden. Like, you know, the most dangerous sentence in the world is, wouldn't that be cool if? Because it leads to every idea. Like, no one goes, wouldn't that be cool if, and then they come up with a really like lame thing. Yeah. We need lame things in the world, right? Yeah. Um, but no, the, the, the passionate things that pull at your heartstrings, those are the ones that go, wouldn't that be cool if we did this? Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's soundtrackyourbrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Nate Tilden. My man, Nate, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling unstoppable every day. Yes. Or else what are we doing? Right? That's what I'm saying. So Nate Tilden has been in the restaurant business for 23 years. Tilden started out as a dishwasher, then worked his way up to chef. He managed uh, Castagna. Did I say it correctly? Yep, Castagna. Yes. Yep. Uh, for two years before opening Clyde Common in May 2007. In 2010, Nate opened Spirit of 77, an electric sports bar. Today, Tilden is the co-owner of Olympia Provisions, Clyde Common, Spirit 77, Pepe Lamoco, The Richmond Bar, Bar Casa Valet, Rushmore Baking, and he has a new project on the horizon. And man, I, my head spins. I get anxiety just thinking about all the things you got going on. I don't know how you do it, uh, but we're going to find out. But before we do find out, let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? I've got what I've been saying for a, a good long time. It is never waste a crisis. Never waste a crisis. Because there's so much crazy stuff that happens every single day. And if those crises shut you down, then you're wasting them. Yeah. You have to take advantage of all of the, the, the craziness that's happening in our world and then make things better. Dive so, into that. How do you take advantage of what's happening in the world, these crises that are happening? You know, take a, a complicated situation in a, in a restaurant or in business in general and solve that problem. You know, find a solution. Clear-headed, clear-eyed, sit down. Uh, systematically go through what the problem is, come up with a solution, 
and then move forward. And that's, that's for me, that's, that's uh, taking what, what might be a crisis that shuts you down or makes you go like, oh my God, we got to not do this. We need to change our hours. We can't serve that dish. Um, you know, uh, we don't have enough you know, people to work on the floor tonight. You know, those are all restaurant related or in business um, and say, let's not waste this crisis, guys. Let's use this crisis to make ourselves stronger. Mm. And not only like it sounds like, you know, failures are sometimes crises. Like you have a failure and like, oh, um, um, it's over. Or like, what did I learn? And then how can I come out the second time around to make this a better outcome, right? Exactly, exactly. In business, I've had a ton of failure. And that's <laughs> and it's fuel. It's fuel yeah. to go forward and to, to make things better. I love it, man. Great way to get this thing started. So let's bring it back to the days that you were a dishwasher. Unless we need to go back even further. Is there somebody or something that happened before this that kind of triggered the the this direction that you took? Yeah, you know, I, I was cooking since I was a, a kid. Okay. Uh, you know, I really started being interested in food when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And I don't really come from a food family. Uh, my mom was the primary cook in the family and she did a great job, but she was also very healthy, super vegetarian. Um, you know, and I ate, I ate enough steamed Brussels sprouts and I was like, wait a minute, I've got an allowance. I have a 10 speed bike. I ride by Albertsons every single day after school. I'm cooking for myself. <laughs> so I got really into like flank steak for some oh, reason. Nice. That was like one of my first like exciting loves. I would make like a marinade. Probably because you could afford it. Yeah, I could afford it. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It was a dollar a pound back then. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'd marinate it overnight and then grill it on the Weber out back. And uh, I think on the second time I did that, my dad was like, I'm going to join you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Looks good to me. So that's where I started. What was it about this whole process that really sucked you in? Why did you love it? You know, I, I, I just connected with the food world. Uh, we've got Gourmet Magazine. So, I mean, this is, this is early 80s here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd go through the gourmet magazine and look at pictures of food and be like, what is this exotic thing? You know, mm. this, you know, New York, San Francisco, Paris, like what are these really cool things that people are eating? Okay. Um, and you know, I don't know exactly why it was a focus for me from childhood, but it was always there. Okay. And anything else before getting into the restaurant, anything, any time we should hover over any experiences before actually starting to like work in the industry? I mean, failure. You know, you know, again, uh, it wasn't wasted. Um, I went to college, University okay. of Oregon, and uh, did two years not really into my studies. Okay. Met not a bunch into of, your studies. Didn't I, really. What were your studies? Oh, I took uh, pre-journalism. Okay. I failed my very first class. I think my my first semester in college, I had like a one point one eight or something like that. <laughs> I left with a point nine. All right. Yes. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I got a job at a, a video store that had tanning booths in the back. Okay. Silver Star Video and Tanning. Shout out, Eugene. <laughs> um, yeah, I was not um, really into being in college during that time. Okay. Uh, I was cooking a lot uh, when I could afford to cook. Were you just not into the, the material or were you having too much fun? I was having too much fun. I met a bunch of really cool people that were, I'm still very close with. Okay. Um, I realized that being in academia, you know, even as, as a bachelor, was just not my focus. Okay. And, you know, in reflection, I would have gone to culinary school. Um, this is, you know, I graduated uh, high school in the early 90s. Uh, I didn't even think of culinary school. Mm-hmm. I think I looked at the CIA for a minute and I was like, whoa, that's in Hyde Park, New York. And I'm not sure if I want to do that. Yeah, that's far away. Yeah. Uh, they can't get much further without leaving the country, right? Yep. Uh, so when did you really start to, I mean, you, you got after the the sun the sun tanning and uh, what was it, sun tanning video store? Video store. Nice. Totally. Uh, eventually you started working in the industry as a dishwasher. Was that before this or after this? It, so that so that was after. So so okay. I left Eugene. I uh, packed up a U-Haul and with a few friends moved down to San Francisco. Okay, cool. And I got a job at a restaurant called Roti in okay. Hotel Griffin. Now what year is this? This is 95. Okay, cool. Um, down on Stewart Street in the Barcadero. 
Okay. And uh, it was connected through a friend who had some like kind of Hollywood stuff and they made a phone call. And basically I got an interview with a, a chef, Trish Tracy, um, and sat down with her and I was like, you know, I'm a chef. And she was like, no, you're not. Um, you want a job? I'll give you a job. <laughs> you're in the dish pit. And you're... what was that like having the chef tell you that you're not a chef? Oh, uh, I was like, Oh, okay. Really? She was like, well, what's an aioli? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> she was like, how do you, how do you bone out a chicken? You can bone out a chicken. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was, I was so happy to be out of Eugene. I wasn't really just, you know, I wasn't happy there. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was in this big bustling, dirty, wet, you know, loud, caustic restaurant world. I was tickled. Mm. I was I was stoked. What was it like? Take us through that that like that dive headfirst into the industry. So my so my very first night there, right? I, I get do the interview. I, I get the job. Um, I don't have no idea what I'm what I'm making financially. Um, they tell me to show up at six p.m. I go in and I have like the dirtiest, longest night of my life. I'm soaking wet because I don't know how to wash dishes. <laughs> I'm also working with these dudes that like don't like me. You yeah. know, here's this like you know gringo kid who shows up. who's like, hey guys, you into Jane's addiction? You know? uh, yeah, my name is Nate. I'm a chef. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. I own a Henkel, man. And uh, yeah, they were like, who, who is this Nimrod? Um, so I go through this whole night, um, you know, dropping plates, breaking things. I cut myself. I'm bleeding. Okay. Um, then I go in. I, I uh, break down the, the hotline. I have to like scrub the stoves and empty the fryers. So I'm being trained how to do all this yeah. stuff. Um, and it's like, you know, two in the morning. I'm finishing up two in the morning. Sue chef's waiting for me. He's like, he's like, come on, man. You know, we should have been out of here an hour ago. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. He clocks me out and we're walking out, out to the front of the restaurant. And I said, do you know how much money I make? I never asked. And he said, you're probably making minimum wage. And I was like, okay, cool. What is minimum wage? And he was like, it's six eighty five. You know, and I was like, holy, sh I make $6.85 an hour. And like, this is the dirtiest, wettest, longest, hardest job ever. My feet hurt. My pants were soaking, you know, I was just like, okay, this is, wow, this is an eye opener. So I walk out, it's two in the morning, I'm on the Embarcadero and I go to the bus stop. And I was like, okay, I'll just wait for the bus and I'll take the number one California home. Um, the Buses bus, don't run that, not running that yeah. I wait there for like 20 minutes shivering and I'm like, oh shit. So I walked home. This is before Uber. <laughs> before Uber, yeah. before cell phones. Right. I had no money on me. I didn't even have a quarter to call like my roommates who were yeah. all passed out anyways. So you were excited getting into this day on top of the world. Where were you at the end of the day? How were you feeling? Walking in the door at like 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. Feeling pretty beaten down. Okay. But also I hadn't been challenged. I just spent two years, you know, hanging out in Eugene, mm. not being challenged. Here was the first like physical slap in my face of my life, really. Yeah. What was that like? Um, I mean, here I am 24 <laughs> three years later with 12 businesses. Yeah. You know, it was invigorating. Mm. It was exciting. Um, it was a challenge. You weren't like down and depressed at all? Oh, sure. Sure. I was bummed. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't bummed in a way like I'm going to go away. Okay. I was bummed like, oh, really? Wow. That's what this takes? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go back and do it again tomorrow and yep. do it again the next day mm -hmm. and do it again the next day. And how did you grow over day over day? How long did it take you to like really get the hang of things? I would say for two months, I was a complete, you know, shit show. Um, and then I started getting, you know, figuring out what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the dish pit for four months. Okay. So near the end of my dish pit time, you know, dish prep, uh, one of the other line cooks was like, what's your problem? Like 
you're enjoying this. <laughs> What's the matter? Yeah, you're not you? supposed to be enjoying yeah. this. And I was like, I don't know, man. I could be like turning dials for a tanning bed right now. Yeah. You know? Like I just learned how to shuck an oyster. Yeah. This is mind-blowing yeah, stuff. Yeah, so dive into why why you loved it. What did you love about it after four or five months of doing it over and over again? You get the clarity and what it is that you like to do. What was it about this job that you loved? I loved the energy. Mm. I loved the camaraderie. I love like you're going into battle mm -hmm. with your your you know your fellow warriors. Yeah, and uh, you know here here come the customers. Those, that ticket machine is going to start printing. Those dishes are coming back. If you don't do your part, the whole ship goes down. Mm -hmm. I loved that energy and the excitement of like getting through a crazy night and being exhausted and yeah. like leaning against the wall and being like, whoa, that was horrible. Did you ever earn their respect or were they? Oh, I did. You, okay, cool. I did. Yeah, no. By by month four or so, yeah, no, I started making friends. You know, the dudes in the basement respected me. Nice. I, I had this night when I, I took the garbage out and I'd always be like one of the wingmen. And this one night I was like, let me do it. Like, yeah. Let, yeah, I'm going to lift the big can. <laughs> this, big, this big guy, Philemon, would always do it. And I'm like, you know, Philly, let me, I'm, I'm, I'm strong enough. And I, I hoisted this giant garbage can up into the dumpster and all this like dumpster juice oh. in the dumpster <laughs> explodes back and it just covered me in like rotting, you know, horribleness. Oh. And I laughed my ass off. They laughed at me. We all laughed. That was one night that the, the ice was definitely broken. Nice. I love it. So how long were you with this uh, group in San, or this restaurant in San Francisco? I was there for about a year and a half. A year and a half? What yeah. Happened and, after I, that? and I went through those, the rounds, you know, started on pantry. And uh, moved to saute. Okay. Got to the grill station. So you eventually got off the dish pit. I got off dish on pit. the line. I got off dish pit. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I actually I left there a year and a half. You know, after starting with zero experience, but I got pretty good knowledge about working in a kitchen. Okay. Cool. What yeah. was the next? Why did you leave? Um, sous chef left, and he said, "Come with me. I'll make you like the lead line cook," which I always okay. laugh about now. Ooh, you're a lead line cook. Um, and uh, I followed him to this little like bistro um, in the um, Marina District called American Bistro. And it was a total disaster, like tiny little kitchen, tiny dining room, you know, owner, you know, two owners, one's like young and um, has the vision. And the other one has, was a pharmaceutical rep and had all the money, you know, classic recipe for disaster. Yep. You know, he spent all the money on wine and, uh, you know, living in San Francisco. Knowing and, what you know now, really dive into the, the intricacies that set this partnership up for a disaster. So they created a business that was not attractive, meaning the room did not look good. Aesthetics. It was, it was in a, aesthetics. It was in a location that had had many failed restaurants. I don't know how many, but I know there were at least three or four. So something about that location wasn't good. Okay. You know, competition too steep, great restaurants two blocks away. Um, who wants to go to this little, you know, it's called American Bistro. Mm -hmm. um, they put a chef in place who wasn't quite ready to be there. Great guy, great food. I still see him around. Um, it just wasn't the right fit. And, um, well, what else? They, you know, no marketing, um, in a splashy town in mid nineties, San Francisco, that there were some like big names mm -hmm. getting going. The little neighborhood corner bistro, I think was suffering mm. unless they did everything perfectly. Uh, the food wasn't great. It was fine. Okay. You know, they did pastas that were decent. Okay. We don't need to spend too much time here. I'm yeah. just kind of curious if I maybe there'd be a, uh, uh an overarching lesson there. And I think we got some good nuggets out of it. Yeah. One, one more piece as things were not going well, one of the owners was consuming a lot of alcohol. Oh, um, uh, yep. So that profits, one. any profits possible were going down the goal. Yeah. That yep. does not help. Uh, for sure. So let's get super aerial real quick because now we're in 97. You don't open your first restaurant until 10 years later. Yep. Uh, really like what were the pivotal points for you in your career uh, over this 10 years? Like where did you really grow and evolve as, as a professional? After San Francisco, uh, when American Bistro was closing, okay. I went to Europe 
to... How long was that restaurant open for? Uh, probably about a year and a half. Okay, so now we're into like 98, 99? Yeah, I mean, I, I left before it closed. Okay. So I was there for six months, maybe. Okay. Um, I went to Europe. I went and backpacked around. I ended up nice. in Prague. Okay. And I stayed for two years. Okay. What, so What yeah, happened there? Uh, I, I met this guy who said, hey, I need a, a chef to run the kitchen and this little um, cafe we just opened. It was also an internet service provider. Okay. Had a movie store, um, um, a movie theater, a bookstore. Um, two bars that had this like had about a hundred computers. Wait, what was this place? It was called Terminal Bar. Okay, and it was, it was a, a like it a, was an internet service provider. It was Prague's first ISP. Well, this is going back to '99 when Prague was probably just starting to get like, yeah, yeah, that's around the time. Yeah, okay. totally, totally. So they brought me in um, to be the chef. And I wrote some menus and, you know, tried to figure it out. I was in a little tiny closet cooking so at this up an point, induction you, burner. So you had been a line cook for maybe about a year between both locations. Yeah, a year and a half maybe. And now you're the chef. Now I'm the executive chef <laughs> of Terminal Bar. How was that transition? Oh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, I took it very seriously. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was it was weird. I mean, in reflection, the food I put out was, was embarrassingly bad. Okay. Um, what about the operational side of things? How were you doing there? I mean, I was the only one in the kitchen until I hired somebody. Mm -hmm. um, I hired two two people eventually. Um, I was paying them thirty crowns an hour, which was literally a dollar an hour. Okay. And they were like expat, you know, party kids. Yeah. They're cruising through, so they kind of worked, but kind of didn't. Okay. Um, the owner of the place was an English guy um, who was uh, eccentric, wore a lot of leather. Okay. Um, had kind of a vampire vibe about him, but he was also a really a sweetheart. Okay. And at one point, he was like, he was like, hey Nate, can can you do sushi? <laughs> and I was like, oh, you, you want you want sushi? And he was like, yeah, 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 let's, let's do that. Let's do that. Um, and he had, um, there was this guy named Neil the Fishman who would drive for the Japanese embassy. Okay. And he would pick up fish from the airports on Wednesday and take it to the Japanese embassy. And Neil owed, uh, Chris was the owner, owed Chris money. So Neil would come and let me um, grab like beautiful Japanese, you know, sushi grade fish flown in from Tokyo. Okay. Um, to pay off Chris's debt. All right. It was crazy. I mean, it's all this is Prague, you know, in the yeah, 90s. It was, it was interesting. Wild West stuff yeah. going on. And then I'd make like tekamaki rolls and futomaki rolls and little hand rolls. So what was your what was your, your biggest lesson during this time here? I mean, it's in, first of all, like congratulations or like like uh, not congratulations, probably not the right word, but like props for just like, like sure like i'll do sushi with like no experience and like making it happen like that's pretty impressive just to not be afraid to dive in and just try it out yeah never really been one of my handicaps diving <laughs> yeah. in um you know i went and looked up on the brand new interweb thing right you know, yeah you know, uh, oh, perfect place to be right how to make sushi rice there yeah. it was you know yeah. make a little you know mirin you know concoction um i could buy nori from the health food store down the street yeah uh, a bunch of you know hippie checks so i was like yeah i mean was my sushi good no, <laughs> you know, I ate it. Every master is once a, once a disaster. So they say, uh, so what were your biggest lessons during this time in Prague it was you know, Prague, right? Yeah, it was yeah. Prague. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, a huge lesson for me was like, if you can dream it, you can make it happen. Yeah. You know, and like in Prague at this time, people were opening, um, bagel shops, uh, that were like illegal. They like kicked a door in. <laughs> and like we're making bagels back there. Like there was just so little regulation. Yeah. I'm sure there was regulation, but from what I saw, it was like these expat, you know, people and Czech uh, people just being like, yo, you know, we're free to do whatever we want and we're going to do it. So I definitely learned this like kind of free spirit. Like, you know, the most dangerous sentence in the world is, wouldn't that be cool if? 
Yeah. Because <laughs> it leads to every idea. Like, no one goes, wouldn't that be cool if, and then they come up with a really like lame thing. Yeah. We need lame things in the world, right? Yeah. Um, but no, the, the, the passionate things that pull at your heartstrings, those are the ones that go, wouldn't that be cool if we did this? Okay. So you were in Prague for two years. Two years. Uh, you come back, uh, I'm assuming 2001, is it, you came back to the States, or was there something else that happened here? Yeah. I mean, my timeline was a little bit faster. Um, so yeah, San Francisco 95, 96, Prague 97, 98, came back 99-ish, late 99. Okay. To Portland, because I uh, a few reasons to leave Prague were, were pretty great. Russian Mafia was part of it. Yep. Um, <laughs> Wait, so you were involved with the Russian Mafia? No, so the Russian Mafia lent money to Chris to open oh. Terminal Bar. Okay. And the uh, debt wasn't being paid back properly. Oh. And so uh, large guys in, in big jackets were coming by looking for Chris. Yeah, I'd get out of there pretty quick, too, if I were you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you left. Came I left, back. came back to Portland. Moved back into my mom and dad's basement. Okay. Uh, enrolled at Portland State University. What were you going back to school for this time? Business. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You finished this time? I did. Nice. I did. It was a lot easier second time around. I bet. You, you're, I, mean, no, I have a, kind of an issue with people, the pressure that is put on young people to go to school at 18 years old. Who the frig knows what they want to do for the rest I of their life? I so years agree. Old. And, and yeah, you're a junior in high school and they're like, where are you going to go? To college. Yeah. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Take you your have, SAT. Yeah. We have science to back up that we don't fully mature into the age of like 26 or 27. And we're making lifelong decisions with thousands and thousands of dollars getting into debt. I think it's a story or a topic for another day. Yeah, but totally. Like, also, like, you can defer a year. If yeah. you're like one of those kids, I was like a 3.0 GPA. Yeah. I wasn't like a super smart academic kid. So like I couldn't really defer a year. Yeah. You know, yeah. I should have been a, a dishwasher, busser, or pump some gas, got an apartment, smoked a ton of weed, <laughs> hung out with my friends. Yeah. And you know, about nine, month nine, I'd be like, okay, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 40. Exactly. But when you're, when you're 18, 19 years old and you fall on your face hard, it's really easy to recover because uh, totally, yep. you're still allowed to move back in with your parents at that point. Yep. You know, it's still Hopefully. socially accepted. Yeah. Uh, so you get the business degree. I get the business degree. I go to PSU. Um, I'm cutting fish uh, part-time at Newman's Fish Market. So I still had my foot in the food world. But I'm like, you know what? This whole cooking thing, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to be working. I'll, I'll make 13 bucks an hour for the rest of my life. Um, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do a business degree, specialize in marketing. I'm going to look into creative advertising. Okay. Right? I'm not a writer. I'm not a designer. But, like, I can make cool things happen. I feel like marketing is all about social and emotional, like, understanding people. Right? Yeah, totally. Which I think uh, I'm decently good at. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So what year was it when you graduated from your business degree in marketing? I graduated uh, spring 2001. 2001. So you now six yep. years. What happened in that six years between opening your first place and having your degree in marketing? What was going on? So I get, I get an internship, right, for Guard Strength Edwards and Aldridge, um, advertising agency. I spend that summer in my internship. Um, it's kind of horrible. I mean, it was awesome. They, they let me in and they showed me the inner workings of advertising. Yeah. But I sat at a computer wearing my, my khakis um, trying, to, <laughs> trying to care. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was really hard for me to sit for that long. Okay. Yeah. You I know, I'm that, used to, I want to be a line cook. Yeah. I want to be, you know, slamming pans and moving and mm -hmm. just like twirling my knife and like, let's go, let's bleed. Yeah. <laughs> here I am like looking forward to my 1030 coffee break. So how long did you last? Uh, I did. I did the summer. Yeah. Right. And then so so September comes around and I'm like, OK, I'm either going to like get a job with Guard Strang or I'm going to look around some more. We'll see. You know, it was an internship. 9-11 happens. Ooh. Yep. So Guard Strang's like, hey, we can't hire you. What's Guard? What is it? Guard? Uh, it was called Guard Strang Edwards and Aldridge. What is that? It was an advertising agency. OK, gotcha. Yep. So they're like, we can't hire you. Um, I look around at a few different agencies. Basically, 9-11 happens and no one's hiring for anything. Yeah. Like you can't get a job. Mm. Um, I mean, our, our economy shut down for a year mm -hmm. as far as, you know, from what I know. Um, 
And that was it. A guy at the bar said, hey, man, I'm looking for a grill cook at B-Saw's little neighborhood joint. Okay. Uh, you want a job? I'll pay you 13 bucks an hour. And nice. Like, Twice what you're making like uh, 10 years ago or whatever, five years ago. Yeah, it was still, <laughs> it was the number I had in my brain of like, I'll never get past 13. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to be a poor, you know, person with broken static nerves. Beautiful. When I'm 40. So w- would you say this is where you kind of grew? Where did you grow the most prior to opening your first place? Um, my next job after BSAWS. Okay. But going back into cooking, 2001, um, you know, 9-11, really, that's the day. Yeah. That's when I gelled. That's when I said, okay, world, you know, I can, I can hear you. I don't always listen to you, world, <laughs> gods, whatever it is, yeah. you know, my, my, my future, my fate. But I was like, okay, world, you want me to be in this food world and um, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it all the way. What's that look like? It's clarity, man. It, it looks great. Yeah. You go, you know, I've been trying to figure out what I want to do. And I've been trying this and trying that. Plus, you know, my, my parents always said to me, which is a great thing to say, and it's true. Do what you love, the money will follow. Mm. There's fa- there's some um, something broken inside of that for me. You okay. know, from this perspective, I look at and when I talk to my you know employees, we talk about this kind of thing. I don't know who knows what they love. If you are like a, a concert pianist, a prodigy, and this is what you love, and you're you know whatever, 13 years old, and you're and you rip, you're amazing. Yeah, I look at you and I'm like, God damn you, fucking bastard. <laughs> right? How great would that have been just yeah. to be like, this is what I'm doing? Yeah. I don't know. I still don't know what I love. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I love, I know, uh, here's the thing. Do what you like a lot. Mm. Do what you're really interested in. Do do the thing that you fantasize about. You know, when you're laying in bed and you can't sleep and you're just like, oh my God, wouldn't that be cool if? Yeah. Find out what those things are and do them and maybe they'll make you money or maybe it'll be your career or maybe they'll fill your soul with so much satisfaction that you're just like, you know, you're creatively just like juiced. Yeah. Um, and maybe not. Maybe you try it and you go, oh, that was horrible. I yeah. don't like doing that. I'm going to try this other thing. But the, the the most important word in that whole sentence is do. Yeah. I think the other variable that people get in trouble with, and I agree with everything you're saying, but why that doesn't happen more often is because people create this lifestyle or they, they get all these assets. Part of it's going to college. And they can't do what they love because now they're, you know, wearing their big boy pants and they got to pay bills. And totally. yeah. And it's just like, I, I can't do what I love because I've created a situation for myself where I have all these liabilities, car payment, rent, phone, like all these things I do not need. So what do you think about that? Um, I think be careful. Yeah. I think don't get yourself in a financial hole. Yeah. You have to do those things. Yeah. Also, this is your one go around, right? I mean, unless there's afterlife, who knows? This is your life. Yep. Don't mess up. Do it. I mean, you are going to mess up. You mess up a lot. Great. Learn from those mess ups. But don't get yourself pigeonholed in a way that all of a sudden you're 60 mm-hmm. and you go, oh, shit. What happened? You know, I always wish I had blank. Yeah. You lose. Right. I mean, if there's, you know, if there's any afterlife or there's any reckoning at the end, I believe, you know, I, I'm not religious, but what, you know, you could call it a heaven, if you will. It's the ones that go, yep, I tried. I went after it. I did as much as I could. I went as far as I could. I really lived. And, you know, I mean, that's not, to me, that's not like, you know, that's going to grant you access. It's just, if your energy and you dissipate at the end, then that's going to be the most positive energy. Yeah. And that's the point. Ride the my, ride, man. Ride Enjoy the ride. it. Yeah. Ride the it, ride. So, uh, was it Castagna that you learned the most, or was it one restaurant before it, that it, really great? It was Castagna. Okay. Yeah, I did Bisa's for, I don't know, nine months. Okay. And then I went to Castagna. So, and I, I stayed there. I was there really for uh, four and a half years. So, who who were you when you went into Castagna? Um, I was a energetic, um, easygoing, happy-go-lucky-ish, 
line cook. Um, I was ambitious. I wanted to learn. I was willing to work for cheap and work really hard. That's huge right there. Yeah. Uh, work for what you're going to learn, not for what you're going to make. Yep. Yep. I definitely uh, was getting serious, right? In that sense that I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'll just you know screw around here for a while. I got to Castagna and I uh, was hired by Kevin Gibson, who was then the chef, and okay. Monique Sue, who uh, still owns Castagna. Okay. Um, uh, they were married at the time. They're, they're not now, um, but both amazing people, wonderful people. And the biggest influence for me in the culinary world were those two. Okay. Uh, they taught me so much. And a lot of it was not through like, I'm going to teach you this thing now. It was just how they do. Yes. Yes. So let's dive into like just, just observing, uh, and being in by surrounding yourself, like you become the average of those you surround yourself with. Yep. So who were they? How did they transform you? So I'll, I'll start with Kevin as, as a chef. You know, he was, you know, kind of an eccentric guy. He still is. If you're listening, Kevin, I love you. Baby. <laughs> you, you, uh, you know, and he loved his food. He loved food. He loved ingredients mm. to watch that guy squeeze an artichoke and to like get emotional about how beautiful this artichoke was. And then to carefully like, you know, you clean the artichoke and pare it down and get down to that perfect artichoke heart and put it into this, you know, the, the lemonized water, you know, for, for blanching, you know, to, just to do that was such passion and care and kind of an emotional mm. vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as this kind of, you know, young, energetic, probably a little bit cocky. Line cook was like, Jesus, that guy really likes artichokes. <laughs> but then I would taste the artichoke that he would cook and go, well, that's a really good artichoke. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what, what good salt was, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I knew what kosher salt was. I knew that table salt sucked and kosher salt was the only way to go. Yeah. And a salt shaker makes no sense. You have to okay. be able to pinch the salt. Um, and then I start learning about like, you know, fleur de sel and Maldon, um, you know, beautiful salts. Now, of course, we have Jacobson, you know, salt, you know, really beautiful salts that have history and, you know, terroir and reasons. Yeah, I'm sure your salt knowledge is pretty badass right now working it's, in a meat curing plant. We do a lot of salt <laughs> <Yeah>. meat. <laughs> Eli, Eli will beat me on the salt game every time. Okay. I'll, I'll beat him on the welding game. I got you. Um, yeah, you know, just to watch their passion, you know, and how they did service. Um, you know, it wasn't like a you know, hugely like, oh my God, crazy successful restaurant. It was successful in, in some ways, but it was particular. Mm. Like the way a fork would be placed on a napkin was Standards. particular. Yeah. So once I clued into the fact that these people knew what they were doing and they had very particular standards and a way to do things, a way to taste wine, a way to you know, wash a plate. Um, and it was from a lot of history and experience. I kind of, I, I think I shut my mouth a little bit and opened my eyes. How did you transform? Um, I mean, eyes open, hard work. You know, it took some years. Yeah. And you were there four years, you said? Uh, four and a half. Okay. Four and where, a half. Where were you towards the end? What were you doing towards the end? So I would say, so at the end, I took over the cafe management job. So I was... Oh, wait, a, time out. I didn't even ask about her. What did you learn from her? You, uh, you kind of- same same for Monique. You know, Monique and Kevin, in a way, their skill sets and their I, I have to detail were very similar. Okay. Monique has a very interesting way to approach service and to approach how a restaurant operates that's reserved, but also very exacting. Okay. And there's a layer of warmth that you're not really aware of until I think after the experience. Okay. Um, that you walk out of Castagna to this day, still open, still an amazing restaurant. You walk out of, Cast- out of Castagna to this day and there's this feeling of you're really well taken care of. Mm. You know, somebody was making sure that the second you needed something, they were there to give it Give me you. an example of a time they took care of somebody. What that looked like. I'm really um, stuck with you to this day. You know, I remember this time, this story about um, uh, this guy calls and he wants to get a burger to go. 
and uh, we don't do to-go food. I was Castagna does not do to-go food. This okay. is in the cafe. Yeah. And he says, my wife is in labor. And she really wants a Cafe Castagna hamburger. <laughs> okay. And um, you do whatever she says in that situation. Yeah. I'm and sure. I, th- I think the current general manager at the time was on the phone was saying, we don't do that. And I remember Monique stepping in and saying, meet me by the back door in 20 minutes. Okay. We're going to wrap it in something. You know? We wrapped we it in something happen. and we made it happen. Yeah. And we got that burger into his hands and he took it to his wife and she gave birth. <laughs> and, you know, that that's one of those like, you know, rules are, you know, meant to be broken for very specific situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was just, I, I, you know, that was a moment of hospitality of like, oh, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. And we're, and we're going to do that in a way that that's going to become part of their family story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Beautiful. Uh, so eventually or actually i sorry i asked you like how did you transform who were who were you uh after the business degree after getting four years experience working for these great mentors who were you after that four years i was hungry mm. i was ready to do my own thing why I, you know taking all the skill sets and all of the different you know areas that comprise a restaurant and the and the food business i was ready to, to give it a shot on my own and part of that was learning from um, people I've worked for, worked had been working for that did things that I did not necessarily agree with. Okay, you know, there's certainly a part of my brain that was like, "Really, you're not going to do X Y Z?" Because I would do X Y Z. Well, when I do my own place, yeah, I'm doing X Y Z. Yeah. Um, and part of it was that you know I was I was ambitious. I was I was feeling ready. Yes, I wanted to open a little you know 40 seater neighborhood, you know you know cafe kind of place. And do a cider brined pork chop and pour a bunch of American whiskey because I always had loved bourbon. Mm-hmm. And um, I had friends that were always kind of more into scotch. And I was like, I just can't drink that scotch. No, give me, give right me, a, there with give you, me a maker's mark on the rocks, yeah. please. <laughs> um, so I had, you know, and I'm ambitious. I, so my father was a contractor okay. growing up. So I spent most of my summers um, and weekends, you know, holding the nail gun on the roof, mm-hmm. but learning a good amount of contracting mm-hmm. and a lot of building. Which is a huge skill to have in this industry. It totally is. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was I was fixing dish sinks yesterday to being like at least I'm a I'm a decent plumber I'm not <laughs> yeah. a good plumber yeah and it, Reg Parnell if you're listening right now you're the best plumber my friend <laughs> but um, at least I can put it back together so I learned how to weld um, and I've always liked design there's a great book called Pattern Language I read when I was like 16 that was about architecture uh, design and light flow energy flow sound flow which is another huge skill to have in this industry totally so, so give us some lessons there give us a nugget or two on the, on that topic. Um, you know, um, about light flow. Yeah. This is what always stuck with me. I loved. Um, so if you have two rooms that are separated by a hallway and you make that hallway dark and you make each room light, then when you you're, uh, going to the next room is more satisfactory for you. It's a safer um, experience. Yeah. Yes. Because you're transitioning from a safe lit place into a dark place, but you're always going towards the light. Uh-huh. And if that hallway is lit and the rooms are, are, are dim, then it you know changes you know, that feeling. So translate that into like walking into a restaurant. Um, Clyde Common's a good example. Walk in the front door on a Friday night when the place is going off the hook, sound level super high. You don't know what's going on. It's your first time here. You just flew in from, you know, Skokie, Illinois. You dropped your bags in the Ace Hotel and you walk in uh, from the Ace down a, a ramp hallway towards, you know, really it's towards our POS system. Um, what can we do there to try to make that trans- transition so that before this customer even has a, has a moment to interact with us, just as they walk in, what is going to help them feel like they're going into a safe place? Mm. So we put a candle um, by our POS specifically so they're walking towards a flickering light. 
That's cool. Does it work? I don't know. I've never had someone say like, holy shit, I was not going to come into your restaurant. And then I saw the candle <laughs> and I realized like that, you know, it, it, this is a safe place. Yeah. We're good. But to me, you know, I will turn from the Ace Hotel lobby and I'll see that candle. And there's a little piece in my brain that goes, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's the details. It's the little things. It's the subtle things that we don't even recognize. We don't even know the sub the, the subconscious. If you can start talking to that subconscious and influencing that subconscious, it has huge power over us. We don't even know it's there, but if you know how to manipulate, I hate that word manipulate but you know uh you know pull out the strings of the heart right and and really just influence people without them even knowing they're being influenced there's a lot of there's a lot of uh value there it, it seems sneaky um but no, no it, it just covers all all the bases I mean, you yeah. try to cover as many things as possible because there, there's, there's you know a thousand different elements of being in a restaurant that, mm-hmm. that uh you know a restaurateur um needs to think about and address i mean yeah. have you you've done it you've been talking with your friend you're like hey where, where do you want to go out for tonight you know for dinner and they go let's go to that one place you go eh the food's good, but you know, I don't know the service or whatever. And you go, well, that place. Oh my God. I love that bartender. But like, I don't know that stool doesn't really do it for me. Or, you know, it might not, might not even be this like thought out, you know, just there's a, a sense of, I don't love that place because of something. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't get the job hundred percent. Right. I believe in that. It'd be impossible to hit the, for me, you know, maybe somebody, maybe Danny Meyer can, <laughs> uh, but you know, to hit every single point, and, and really kill it every, I mean, every single grain of salt has to land perfectly yeah. on the raw flesh before it goes onto the grill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can, is the line cook going to get that right every single time? No, but really close, as many as possible, you try to cover. And, and you do it for that general, like, do you want to go out to Clyde Commons tonight? I'd love to. I love that place. Clyde's a loud room. For those of you listening who've been to Clad Common and it's, it's a busy night, I'm sorry. I was actually just there the other day. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to go in because I was in a hurry, and I, but I was walking past yeah, it. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, Clyde's Common. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm talking to the owner of this place. Yeah. Uh, and I took a look, and it's a really cool space. Um, I didn't. Re- I was actually at Stumptown because I was doing a little research over there, and I didn't realize that um, you were right next door. Yep. Uh, I would have probably gone in and done my research in Clyde's Common if I had known. <laughs> it is but loud in there. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, and actually, that's. I remember because I was sitting in. I was sitting in the hotel. And yeah. the the lobby is attached, right? And I was like, "What is going on in that place next door?" Yep. I was like, "That place sounds like it's happening right now." So when I left, I like I looked to make sure to see what the name of the place was, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's funny." So anyway, uh, let's talk about what it was like being a first time restaurant tour. You open climbs. What was the biggest challenges? What were the, su- the the successes, the failures there? Everything was a challenge. Mm. Um, it, it was hard. That was a, it's a big restaurant. Um, I meet the Ace Hotel people one night. And I'm like, I should do the restaurant in your hotel. And they're like, okay. So wait, you said you spent four years at uh, Costa, uh, Castell. Thank you. I don't know why I struggle with that so much. Uh, that's also where you met Eli because he was the yeah. executive chef there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I you should so, probably mention that. So like, you know, there's, there's like a, a knock on the back door one day and I open it or someone opens it and there's, there's Eli fresh off the boat from um, you know Switzerland. Yeah. And he's like, you know, please, sir, may, may I have a job? You know, his, his resume. And uh, so we staged him or, you know, had yeah. him come in and work for us interview. And he did great, of course. So he gets the job. He actually got electrocuted like two days before the stage. Um, his sister's stove shorted out and he took like a full on like, like, you know, on oh the my ground. Gosh. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, hey, you did a great job. You know, can I get you a beer and we'll talk about the job? And he's like, I can't drink. I'm on this weird medication because I got electrocuted. You know, I'm still like really messed up. And I was like, God, you did a really good job for just being electrocuted. <laughs> yeah. I like you even more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I hire, uh, we hire Eli. Um, and then, of course, he rises to executive chef there. But that's mm-hmm. how I, I know him. How long did you work beside him before taking off to do your own thing? He, uh, two years. Okay. Yeah. He, we were both sous chefs. 
Um, so Kevin was executive chef, Monique's general manager, owner. We were both sous chefs. Eli's in the main restaurant. I'm in the cafe. And so, yeah, we worked a lot together. Okay. You know, we'd meet every like Tuesday. So this is your time to shine, but it's interesting because I just interviewed Eli and I just interviewed Michelle and those two interviews are airing just before you go. So my listeners are familiar with their stories. What was it about Eli working beside him that you think, uh, what was your, your impression of who he was, his character, his, cause this is ultimately going to be your business partner to this day. I so know. what was that like? It was a dark road. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved Eli from day one. You know, Eli does a few things that have become part of what my um, requirements are for working with people. Like, what's that? He's always in a good mood. He is a positive, upbeat guy. You know, his world could be crumbling and he will keep a smile on his face and go like, you know what? It's going to be okay. <laughs> One of the hardest working people I've ever met. Mm, you he, can thank the Swedes for that. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I got Swedish blood too. Right. Um, he, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a machine. He's a machine. Um, he's one of those machines that's like, hey, guys, let's all do this, right? Let's stay and work seven days in a row. Oh, you're on your 30th day? Your 31st is going to be the best day ever. <laughs> it's that kind of like insanity of like get it doneness yeah. and do it with a smile on your face and be a really fun, great human being all around. That Yeah, I was like, God, Eli's amazing. I mean, I lost him because I, I was in the cafe the whole time at Castagna. Um, I lost him to the restaurant. Yeah. You know, Kevin took him. I was, I, was, I, was, I was not happy. Um, yeah. So when Eli, when it all came back around for partnering, um, yep. of course, Michelle joining amongst other partners. Um, yeah. yeah I, I was like, I have no concern about Eli. Okay. We, yeah. We'll, we'll, I'm sure that we'll come back we'll, into that. We'll, let's, let's keep moving. But I feel like there might've been something interesting in there. Oh, yeah. So, um, so you go, you, you, you talk to the, the hotel, you say, Hey, let's do the restaurant here. Yeah. I meet these people. They're like, Hey, we're the Ace Hotel. You should do the restaurant. I'm like, cool. They're like, we have no money for you. I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, also you need to convince the landlord. Cause we don't own the, the building that you're the one to do the restaurant. And there's a restaurant space. It's disgusting. There's nothing there. What at was all. there before? It was a gay bar called CC Slaughter's. Okay, how long did that last? It was around for like 20 years or okay. so. Uh, yeah, that, that portion of Stark Street was like a really nightclub. It used to be called Vaseline Alley. I just, I just, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm thinking like CC Slaughter's, like the images that are coming into my mind right now. Oh, right? There, were, there were sex rooms in the basement. <laughs> yeah, there were sex rooms with like 16 inch square glory holes. Oh, like you, you could pass a couple of babies between those holes. Jesus. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and it was all still there. When I signed the lease, the images won't stop flowing. <laughs> When I signed a lease, I like I got in there with a flashlight. There was no glass in the windows; it was all boarded up. So like I didn't see it with like actual light in there until like three days before we opened. Uh, I hope you cleaned well before. Oh my, my god! I put on like a respirator and a ten pound sledge. I took out so much just gross, awesome history. In fact, this is awesome. There used to be a, there was a dance floor in CC Slaughter's because yeah. men would dance, of course. Um, the contractor we hired, Garth Flatwood. Giant man, beautiful sweetheart of a human being. Six five, I'd say three twenty or so. Used to be an exotic dancer at okay. CC Slaughter's. Interesting. He and his brother moved out from Idaho uh, to do logging, and they were like, "Oh, it's easier to shake our junk in front of men. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, right. Make more money too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, it all you know. And then of course Garth was our contractor. So you know we lived together in that space for nine months. Um, it, all, it all came around, and that you know building out Clyde Common was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I, uh, a business partner uh, got involved. who's was one of my old childhood friends. He came in with some money. I mortgaged my house and raised some money. I borrowed money from my dad. Uh, my dad mortgaged his house mm -hmm. to raise some money. Wow. I borrowed money from my friend Mike. Um, I borrowed money from my friend Marty, who's a partner in, in Olympia Provisions, Richmond Bar and Bar Casavale. 
God, who else did I borrow money from? I borrowed money from my my friend, my friend Jesse. So you did the whole friends, family, and fools thing, huh? dude. I did the like, I did the, like. <laughs> would you lend me twenty thousand dollars, and I'll pay you back in how five much, years? How much do you need to come up with to, to make it happen? Half a million. Wow. Yep. Okay. And, and this is two thousand seven. That's actually not even that much by today's standards. I know. No. I yeah. mean, I mean, yeah. We pulled that thing off. Looking back. I mean, we had no money in the bank. You we, raised a half million dollars from going, just talking to people. I raised half a million dollars in 90 days. Wow. How, okay. Talk to us about some advice on how to, how to raise money for your vision. Um, you believe in it so hardcore and think about this, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 31 years old. I've got the ACE hotel people saying you're going to do the restaurant in our hotel. I knew who the ACE hotel was from Seattle. Portland's their second location. Okay. I was like, holy moly, they are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. This is like the biggest opportunity that could have ever landed in my lap. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm so convinced that it's going to work. I mean, I have conviction like you would. I, it was an iron rod through my entire system. I mean, I told my fiance, like, this is what I'm doing. And if I don't do this, I'll die. Like, this is, I have to pull this off. I started cold calling people. Like my, my friend was like, oh, you should call like this Nike executive I know. Here's his cell phone. So I'm like, okay, call yeah. the cell phone, you know, like, hey, Nike executive, my name's Nate Tilden, please don't hang up. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do this amazing thing downtown Portland in this neighborhood that hasn't been named yet, but it's gonna become the West End. And I'm gonna open this amazing restaurant called Clyde Common, and actually it didn't have a name yet. And we're gonna do all this stuff. And they're just like, like no, like yeah. I heard no. How'd you get my number? <laughs> I mean, I, I got audience with a prominent advertising executive owner name on the door. Go to his office, sweetheart of a man. Um, my, my wife still works for him, Dan Wyden. Um, and I asked Dan for money, and you know, Dan said no, but he also was like, "Do it, kid. Like, yeah. like go for it." Yeah. Uh, he was like, "I was like, I invested in this other restaurant that's downstairs. That's not, you know, has, you know, probably will never pay him back, but whatever." He's like, "Restaurants don't make money." Um, but go for it. Yeah. So, you know, those things were conviction, mm. you know, f feeders. I got more and more. I, I literally wore a, a track around a tree in my backyard that summer on the phone asking people for money. Oh, my gosh. How many people do you think you, you called? 30, 40. I don't know. All together, 30, 40 people? 50. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I called so many people that I didn't know that were just cold calls, which is not a comfortable thing to do. No. Um, I used to do it all the time. I still do it to this day with trying to find guests for the podcast. Yeah. Totally. It's weird. But yeah. you get used to it after a while. Yeah. Do you have $10,000 you want to lend me? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what were you offering for, were you doing special deals for each person that gave you money, like special returns on investment or anything like that? Or is it set standard? So I was trying to do, um, it's a loan, not an investment. Okay. I'll pay you back. I'll personally guarantee it. Dangerous. Which but makes it even tougher to, to get the yes. Cause what's in it for me. Right. Totally. Totally. And I was like, I'll pay you back with a 10% interest mm. and I'll pay you back in five years. Okay. And so I raised, um, I don't know, $100,000 off of those kind of loans. Okay. Um, Which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Mortgaging my house that, you know, my wife and I bought, or my girlfriend at the time and I bought as uh, she worked at a pizza restaurant and I was a line cook and we bought a house for, you know, a dollar um, in North Portland. Wow. And all of a sudden the housing market starts going Yeah. Out. I was going to say, try doing that today. Yeah. So there's I, a return on investment. I squeezed, I don't know, $85,000 out of that house. Okay. Yeah. I've got that. Went to Bank of America, did the paperwork. Um, and then my, uh, friend, Matt Piacentini, um, you know, I call him looking for money and he's like, Hey, I'm looking for a project. Yeah. I want to get involved. Okay. He's living in New York. I said, okay, do you and your wife want to move to Portland, Oregon and do this oh my thing? God, I'd make that move in a heartbeat. I can't stand New York city. Yeah. Sorry, keep uh, going. They're back in New York. They, they love okay. New York. And that's, <laughs> that's where they should be. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'm bringing in 200 grand. So I, I raised nice. 200 grand myself. He brought in 200 grand. So where did the, the last 100 come from? I go to our, our, our prospective landlord. I mean, we signed a lease by this point. 
um, Robert Sachs and his partner, Dave Schrott, um, they own the building and they're uh, other buildings that we have projects in um, their buildings as well. Wonderful family, super sweethearts, very good business people. And I say, guys, I, I you know, I need to have 500,000. I only have 400,000. We're, you know, I'm four days away from when we said we would be complete. How are you? What's going through your mind right now? Are you shitting bricks or what? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> also, like, I have to pull this off. Yeah. I'm not going to do any crime. But if I could generate money by, <laughs> you know, doing some weird shit, yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> I like I have to. So if I can't raise, at this point, the, the male strip club is closed, so you can't dance for the money. There's others. Yeah. In town, you know, there's a there's a there's a, yeah. a move with a royal uh, royal crown bag. Yeah. I, I, that Garth told me about. There you go. <laughs> Totally. I'm sure it was on the table. Guys would love they love yeah. that stuff. Just take the bag off. Yeah. <laughs> See what's inside. Um, you know, if I couldn't raise the five hundred thousand, and I wrote out a spreadsheet like this is how much it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, I came in exactly right. Wow, it's the only time I've ever been on budget. That's incredible. First time. Wow, and then one of the bigger budgets. Um, then I would have to go back to the contractor and say I can't pay you this hundred thousand dollars. I will do the contracting work myself. And you, you were actually in the position where you could have done that. Well, how much of it did you do on your own? Because you ha- did you do any of the contracting on your own? Were you in there doing a lot of the... I basically joined his crew. Okay. So I was, you know, sanding floors and putting up two by fours and welding, you know, the bar shelving yeah. um, in the basement. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I was there seven days a week. Um, Wait, did we even get to where you got the last 100000 Uh Robert Saxon, Dave Schrott, the building owners gotcha. said, they, they, I sat down and told them I'm short. And they were like, okay. We're your partner. Nice. Yep. Here's a check, and we'll figure out all what, the details. What was it that you think was happening that made them want to invest in you? Did they see the hustle? Did what was going on? They definitely saw the hustle. I think they did. Um, I think they believed in the project. Mm. What I was think, it, what was it about the project that was so convincing? Ace Hotel, gonna be amazing. Um, was it amazing? Yeah. It still is. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing brand an amazing business and an amazing hotel. You know, I think that the Ace became the living room of the of the city the place to be and mm-hmm. it still is our city's different now of course this is 11 and a half years ago yeah um i mean think about the project right super cool hotel really smart hotel you know hoteliers um very culture and art and community uh focused you got Stumptown coffee coming in to anchor the lobby on yep. one side okay that's a pretty darn good brand mm-hmm. here's this kid who's going to do, do this like you know, big gastro pub open kitchen Huge uh, whiskey selection, um, all communal seating downstairs, you know, giant tall ceilings. Um, who's very like on the ground. Like, yeah. I'm not a restaurateur who's like, oh yeah, I'll have my people come in. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm gonna greet you at the door. I'm gonna run your food. That's hospitality. I'm gonna, I'm gonna line cook yep. there. I'm gonna expedite the food. I'm gonna tend bar. I'm gonna if there's a problem, like you know, it's me. It's like kind of fresh faced kid coming around being like, hi, I'm the owner. You don't like your your food? Okay, I'm sorry. Let's get it off the table. Totally, it's off the bill. Let's get yeah. you something you like. I, yeah. I want to make sure you're fed. And that, that was the mentality. Mm-hmm. Also, the mentality with, with Stumptown, Ace Hotel, and Clyde, we're like, okay, we're all in this together, you guys. We're different businesses, totally. But if someone in room 428 is not enjoying something that they got from the restaurant, um, that's a hotel problem, and that's my problem. Mm-hmm. And we are going to get in there, and we're going to solve it. So, I mean, we still have that camaraderie ship and that mentality. I love it. Okay, so... Let's kind of fast forward a little bit. You you, you get the place open. You're, you're jamming. You're doing well. How did you grow as a first time business owner? Like let's like like after a year or so. Fear and pain. Fear and pain. <laughs> Dive into that. 
Um, so yeah, we get, we get cloud open. Um, my partner, uh, Matt from New York decides that it's not the perfect situation for him. Okay. Um, and he takes off, he goes back to New York. Which, did he, did he buy out his, nope, or... he still owns uh, okay. his shares of Clyde. Okay. Um, and he's, you know, a help to Clyde. We're certainly partners. What was his role? He was, you know, he was kind of like going to be more bar focused and kind of front of house. Mm-hmm. I was going to be also front of house, but more kitchen focused. Okay. Um, so we had an executive chef. Okay. Uh, extremely talented human being. I miss his food dearly. And he's, he's now out in Hood River cooking. If anyone wants to go find him. Okay. Jason Barkowski. Um, and yeah, we were going to kind of split duties. You know, you have two owners on, you know, on the floor. Uh, we also launched uh, lunch. So we're doing lunch, dinner, lunch five days a week, dinner seven nights a week. We're open late. We're open until 2 a.m. On the, on the weekends. It was a lot of, of work uh, for even two people. But he said, it's not for me. I got to go. So he went. Um, and so I spent like that first year just working my butt off. Okay. And um, did you eventually find somebody else come on or did you just did you take on that load of the front at the bar side of things? Did he at least set you up to like, you know, have like a systems and stuff in place where you could manage it easier. He did, but also it was a lot of like figuring stuff out as, as we go. Okay. I uh, went through a couple different bar managers. How'd you get through it? Um, you put your pants on every day. Yeah. You know, I had the mentality that like, no matter how much, you know, horribleness was happening, we could solve it. Mm-hmm. And we did. Awesome. We did. I, I worked that first uh, year every single day and I've told people that and they're like, really like 365 days a year. Did you work on Christmas? Yes. We uh, sanded the floors Christmas wow. Eve, and we restained them and polyurethane them Christmas Day. So how did you how did you keep showing up? What was it going on inside of you? Like what what is your your DNA, your makeup to make you show up every day of the year, still being positive? Where'd you get that? Um, I knew that if I got beat down or was negative, it would bleed into staff, mm. and that that would become a normal thing, mm-hmm. and that that cannot happen. So what was the conversation you had in your head to stay positive? Just keep on smiling, man. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, if you, if you, if you cry, go in a locked bathroom. Yeah. Like just. How many times did you cry? Do you think? You know, I, I broke down and cried when we were building Clyde, like really broke down and sobbed, like, you know, in my, in my fiance's arms. Man. Once. And I, I. Cried. When you're building. I fucking cried. What made you cry? What was going on? I couldn't deal with all of the stress and the pressure and the, and the unhappiness and the, you know, trying to coordinate other people's visions and to make them translate into this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of personalities, you know, there are personalities. There are some very unhappy people through the process because it's a hard process. Yeah. Building businesses it's sucks. Yeah. It's hard. It's yeah. expensive. Yeah, you it's still scary. continue to do a new restaurant. Every I know, couple of years. Yeah, you haven't I'm learned. A, I'm an addict, man. I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> you, know, you know why? Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool if, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the most dangerous thing to say. Yes. It would be cool if we did a Peruvian bar on top of the steel bridge that would go up and down every time the drawbridge went up and down. How do we get to say, let us do that. You know, I mean, that's just, it's, yeah. it's, but I also, I never want to stop asking that question. Yeah. You know, why, why not though? Yeah. Uh, at the same not? time, why not live? So, all right. So let's kind of fast forward. Eventually you, you get to the point where, uh, Clyde's is humming, uh, humming enough that you can divert your attention to open a second location, spirit 77. Um, actually, uh, uh or was Olympia the Olympia first? was first. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, how many years were you going with Clyde before you decided that you had the bandwidth to handle another project? So Clyde had been open for like just under two years. Okay. And how did you get to the point? Like what, what did you have to do to get it to the point where you didn't need to be there all the time? I was still there all the time, but um, I, I got to the point where I had some people working for us who knew what they were doing. Okay. Like the bar was taken over by Jeffrey Morgenthaler, okay. who's still with us, Okay, um, who is an amazing bartender and also just an amazing human being um, and an educator. 
And he came in and said, okay, this bar is good, but not great. And we need to do this, that, and the other thing. And really, you know, he, he, he controlled the bar. Okay. What were the things that he changed to make it from good to great? You know, he took our, our silly cocktail program that was whimsical and funny and all that stuff. And he threw it out the window. He was like, yeah, we're not doing this crap. And he started putting on really amazing drinks. Okay. He, he, he said, I have an idea. I'm going to put a, a Negroni into a whiskey barrel, a used whiskey barrel and stick it in the basement for six weeks. Is that cool with you? He asked me. And I was like, yeah, how much, you know, booze are we putting <laughs> yeah. on the shelf? How, how much revenue are we not making off yeah. of this alcohol that we just, you know, bought for six weeks? And I was like, sure, you know, weird. Okay. Barrel aged Negroni. What's that? Um, how much did it cost? I'm curious. How, how much booze I, was in a barrel? It was like $380. How many know? bottles did you put in there? I forget. It was like this much beef eater, this much yeah. Campari, okay. this much vermouth. Okay. Um, yeah, I did the calculator and I was like, okay, you know, 380 bucks. This better, better not go bad, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, not in that way. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, if it, if it had totally failed then we've been like, all right, now we know. Yeah. Um, I mean, barrel aged cocktails is a worldwide phenomenon now. Yeah. That was Clyde Commons basement with Jeff saying, I got an idea. He yeah. said, wouldn't that be cool if, yeah. <laughs> um, and just training how bartenders do what they do. Um, systematically making it so that we measure every single thing. We stir a certain way. We shake a certain way. Um, and also it's the hospitality. You know, I had a thing with the bar where I was like, I want every single person who sits down at the bar to get a glass of water first before anything else happens, get a glass of water. Mm-hmm. Cause if you sit down you're like, God, you know, I'm going to have a gin and tonic. I'm kind of thirsty, but, and you don't think about the water, you'll start drinking. But the other variable there too, is that it forces people to, it forces you to acknowledge the person as they yes. sit down. Yes. As soon as they sit down, you have to get them that water. Cause you see it all the time. People will sit down and if you don't have these, these triggers, uh, to acknowledge somebody, then like somebody might go a few minutes without being greeted or acknowledged. But if if you create that that standard that as soon as somebody comes, like you like in your head, you're like, I gotta drop that water. You know, yep. I gotta, you know, their their experience begins. Yep, and it, it begins with a healthy thing, mm-hmm. a glass of water. We all should hydrate more. Yeah, yep. So Jeffrey took that glass of water mentality and just went much further with it. Okay. How- um. And well, you know, I mean, we say at Clyde, um, you don't tend bar by making a drink. Making a drink is a small component of tending a bar. When you tend a bar, you tend the bar. Mm. You're taking care of the space that a, a customer has sat in, and they're you know they're they're a stranger. You don't know who they are, but there are rules at this bar. Um, there are rules of hospitality. Um, you don't sit at a, bar, a dirty bar spot, right? People do all the time. We can't get there fast enough. Yeah. But like, there's a rule of like, I'm going to make this space clean for you. Mm. I'm going to give this water to you. I'm tempted to go even deeper here. I know we're we're trying to race the clock because we only have so much time. But give me some um, rules. What are the rules of the bar? Uh, I'd say the rules of the bar are um, it's a neutral space. Mm-hmm. There is you, we, No matter what's happened to you in your day or what's happened to the bartender or me in my day, when you sit down at the bar, everything starts fresh. Mm-hmm. So you are a newborn baby. Okay. And if you had a really shitty day and you want to vent about that, that that's okay. We can do that. But we, we don't um, have you sit down and assume whatever's happened to you is now going to continue. Okay. If you had a really shitty day and you don't want to talk about it, man, you're in a neutral space. You're mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. Um, clean. Your bar has got to be clean. It's got to be a place that you can sit down and go, now this is mine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lean my arm up against this zinc and mm-hmm. it's been wiped. It's been, you know, sterilized in a way that now I can, you know, put my, you know, skin on yeah. it and feel safe. Um, it needs to be upbeat. It needs to be a place where you, you, you know, just like in, in cheers, Yeah. you know, you, you leave your, uh, cares and worries away. And, uh, 
we're, you're gonna have a good time. I love it. Man. We're gonna know you. I love it. We still gotta talk about bringing Eli on and starting Olympia and that whole project. And one, one thing I want to highlight about you that it's starting to kind of come out of the story. I think one of your it factors from doing the research is your ability to build teams. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 see something in somebody and say, hey, come come join me, come do what I'm doing. And that's kind of like you had this vision for uh, Olympia. Was was it? Did you was the brand yours? The vision yours originally? No, I mean, I had this image of doing a really cool little wine bar um, that would have sliced meats. Okay. You know, and I was, uh, the, the chef at Clyde was going to come along, um, partially because he needed to be in a different environment. Okay. Clyde was too big for him. Yep. Um, and I was like, dude, let's do like a little industrial badass, like, you know, wine bar with like a bunch of slicers and cured meats. And we'll just, you know, we'll have like a little sushi case where yep. you can like point at the thing and be like, what's that pate? Yeah. I want to eat that. And it'll be simple. And I also was like, I want a lot of partners. You know, when my business partner, Matt, left Clyde, um, I mean, we're still partners. We talk, of course. But I didn't have a, uh, a you know, a partner in crime. Sounding board, yeah. That was sounding board. Yeah. I didn't have, like, someone that I would see on a daily basis yeah. and be like, you know, oh, who's calling him payroll? You are? Awesome. Thanks. I need a break from that today. Totally, <laughs> totally. You know, I keep getting called by this, you know, POS person. Should we talk to them or not? You know, I, that blue we painted the wall, I don't know. It's kind of freaking me out. What do you think? I just didn't have a partner like that. Yeah. So I craved this idea of like, God, I want people around me who are all equally invested, who all have a piece. Um, you know, this place makes money. You make money. Mm -hmm. This place bombs. You bomb. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, balls in the line, man. Yeah. You know, uh, and and so yeah, I was I was seeking that. Yeah. So in your mind, you're like, who do I know who loves me? who would make a great partner, somebody who has the same passion, the same drive, the same commitment that I have in the first name, one of the first names that pops into mind. Well, actually, Eli and Michelle and their component came a little bit later. Oh, okay. So I sit down, I start writing a business plan about this little wine bar. Yep. And uh, I uh, chat with this real estate guy and he shows me this really industrial space in the lower southeast industrial area on the east side of Portland, Willamette River. Um, and I go look at it and it's like the stupidest place to open a <laughs> restaurant. It's like a giant industrial building. Uh, there's no windows that are low. They're all like high uh, transfer style windows. So you can't like look in from the street and be like, that place looks cool. You go in one door up like five stairs, a second door into a hallway, and then you go into a third door to get into the restaurant. Right. And this real estate guy, we're good friends. I love him dearly. But he's like, you know, rent's going to be really cheap. And the TI build out tenant improvement uh, is going to be great. Like, what do you think, man? We just bought this building and we want to make it cool and we need a food element. And there's all these creative people working in the building. Why don't you do your wine bar? And I'm like, yep, done. Awesome. <laughs> um, and I got partners, my my general manager at Clyde at the time. I'm like, hey, do you, you have any money? Come on. Her husband, he's like, I'll come on. Our chef, he's like, yeah, I'm in. This is the eight partners that we ended up getting. Dude, eight partners to begin with. <laughs> and then uh, the chef's wife, she's like, yeah, I'm in. And I'm like, cool. All these people are really good so at what they do. Six. Yeah, we're at six. We're just going to like do it. We're all going to all be, you know, partners in this thing. And I'm so excited. I finally have people I can talk to as partners, not as employees or not as like investor people. Yeah. Why aren't we making more money? Kind of question. Yeah. It's always a great question. I don't know. We're working on it. But as people I can like see every day and commiserate with and bleed with and, and uh, you know, bitch with and laugh with and get drunk with. And this is going to be so great. Yeah. And then um, I run into a, a guy who was a server at Castagna, and I chat about my wine bar idea and talk about the cured meat thing. And he goes back to Castagna and he talks to Eli. 
He was the chef. Yeah. He's like, do you know Nate's like opening like a charcuterie, like a meat curing thing? Yeah. So Eli calls me and he's like, hey, let's get a beer. <laughs> we go get a beer. Do me a favor real quick. You've been drifting away from the mic. Pull yeah. that sucker closer because I want to get this. Closer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So we get a beer and uh, I, you know, Eli says, well, my sister and I are doing a USDA thing. We're riding our ass up. We're like pretty far down the road. We're looking for space. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm not going to be USDA. I'm not going to cure salami. Um, I'm going to do a little wine bar. It's just down the road. It's in this like industrial building. Um, there's a room next door to the where the wine bar is going to be that has room for like a little like 800 square foot, you know, curing room. Do you guys want to like do it with us? And Eli's like, yeah, okay. We all meet. Um, and uh, yeah. Michelle's got some cash to throw in for yeah. her and Eli's portion. Mm-hmm. Um, the building's called the Olympic Mills Commerce Center. I'm like, it should be called Olympic something. Olympic, I don't know, Olympic Delhi. Uh, when I wrote the business plan, uh, the first business plan, Michelle then came and wrote way better business plans. Yeah. She's better <laughs> it's funny because she was saying, because uh, Eli said, oh yeah, then I had to put it together. And I was like, oh, I, and I called. I was like, "You did the." I thought Eli did the business plan, and she's like, "He thinks what he, you know, is just funny." <laughs> Eli um, had something. Yeah. Michelle took what I did and made it better. Okay, uh, she's the business brain in that yeah, way. Yeah, she's the numbers. Yeah, she's the numbers. Yeah. And yeah, so we do it. We build it out ourselves. We don't have a general contractor. Um, it's a raw space, so we like we make everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I weld these giant wine shelves in my dad's studio up in North Portland. We tie them on top of his Astro van and we drive those things because they're way too big to legally move. Yeah. I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Uh, we drive it down uh, MLK at like two in the morning on a Sunday with car spotters because uh, the thing would have taken out like power lines and yeah. trees and, you know, Jesus. all that shit. And hey, you know what? It worked. Yeah. <laughs> we got him installed. Uh, when we were getting inspected, the inspector's like, hey, um, who did the welds on these things? And I'm like, I did. I have a you know little Miller MIG 140. And he's like, yeah, we're gonna have to have these all X-rayed because the thing it's a massive shelving unit yeah. and it's like 12 feet high. Yeah. If it came down, it'd kill somebody. Yeah. So yeah, you know, for six thousand dollars later, we had it X-rayed and hey, the welds are good. It's been, nice. up, it's been up since 2009. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a decent welder. Thank yeah. You. Um, yeah. So we build the thing out. Um, it's horribly hard and sketchy and tiring and you know i now have clad common to still manage and be part of as the owner and then we're building out you know olympic provision southeast but we do it we get it open have this great party and um yeah go into about a year and a half of doing really shitty business mm. yeah so we were we kind of got into the details of that when i was speaking with michelle uh two years of like not making a dollar in in the red basically and then you guys started turning things around from your perspective after two years what turned it around Um, we finally caught on that people realized that we were this new brand and we were down in the industrial area. Um, I think that neighborhood started to to round out and get more people. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we opened a second location. So yeah, we were, we had no money. We were bleeding money and we're like, let's open a second location, (laughs) which really it it was about the curing operation, you know, on like day number two, like Eli's in the little 800 square foot curing room and he's like hand cranking salami. Um, and I go in there and he's like looking grim. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, it's not going to work. Like, there's no way I can make enough of this meat by myself to like sell, to have us um, pay rent. Like he was like, I need to go get a job as like a barista. Yeah. I'm going to go get a barista job in the morning so I can make some money to throw into the business uh, or, or, or just to pay his rent. He was like, yeah. I'm starving. I have no money. I actually, I, I wrote him a check. I forget for how much, but I, the Clyde had just done a distribution. I'd gotten like 20 grand. 
And I was like, screw that, dude. Here's whatever, $5,000. Like, put food on your table, pay your rent. Uh, we have a dream. We have a vision. We have to keep going forward. Like, we cannot turn back now. So that's what we did. Um, two of our members decided that they uh, wasn't really working out. Kind of visions were not lining up. Mm-hmm. And as I now know in partnership, um, it's really hard when visions don't line up. It's also really hard when you're not making money. So knowing what you know now, what, do you, what would you do differently to line up a visions? Um, I don't know if we could have lined up those visions. I think you just got to have the conversation of like, what is your vision? Yeah. And, and then to like commit to a vision, write it out. So everybody's on the same page. Definitely. I also yeah. think you just need to partner with people that have the same vision as you, yeah. you know, and well, again, you, know? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I've had multiple partnerships yeah. that didn't work out mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and again, the money, I mean, you can have the bestest of friends who have the exact same vision and they've gone back for 20 years talking about this idea and they open and you're losing money, there's going to be stress. Mm-hmm. Like it sucks when your business Definitely is test not friendships. That's oh, for sure. It does. Yeah. You can have people who don't really like each other that, that well, but they're making a couple hundred grand a year each off of a, a project. They're fine. You know, it, 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 that's money's one of those things. It's a hard thing. I mean, we're all creative people. And I think that, you know, we come from a soulful base. We want to do cool things. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to have want to be cool. If. Yeah. And like, you know, if we just want to have money, we're in the wrong business, restaurant business. Yeah. Like, come on, go be, go, go, go be a banker. Mm-hmm. Go be a, 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 a bookkeeper. Like, like be someone who like has their thumb on the pulse of every single dollar. Um, don't be a restaurant person. You can make money in restaurants. Yeah. You can make a lot of money in restaurants, but it, it's a messy business. It's hard to control. There's so many moving parts. It's people based and people have good days. They got bad days. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a crazy business to be in, to be like, okay, we're going to, you know, invest half a million dollars and I want to see a quarter million dollars pay out every single year for the next 20 years. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. You might have quarter million dollar payout years. Yay. And you might have negative $50,000 mm-hmm. years. Boo. You got to be ready for that shit. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, the, the partnerships that really last are the ones that they go through fire and they know how to deal with the bad times and they know how to celebrate the good times without getting too inflated. So, you know, some partnerships early on with OP didn't work out. Um, and uh, we got whittled down to five partners. We're now at four. You know, someone recently um, decided that they were ready to be involved with something else and they're getting you know, bought out. Mm-hmm. Money's coming to them. Um, it's freeing them up, I think, on a on a soul level to go um, pursue other projects. And it's, you know, we had dinner and we all drank a lot of wine and raised our glasses. And um, there's great feelings all around, mm-hmm. I think, from him to us and us to him. Awesome. Um, but that's just the way it goes. So I can't believe we're already at an hour and uh, 11 minutes with this discussion. A great discussion. Um, anything you want to get out before we wrap up? Uh, and go to the speed round. We kind of, there's like eight other restaurants and so much more to your story. I'm tempted to get you back on the show to pick up where we left off. Uh, but I mean, I mean, let's just one more question regarding Olympia. Uh, what was it in your opinion that, that pushed it over the edge to, to, to get it to where it is today, where you guys are operating in the black and you're super successful, no nationwide have a, a mail order operation, you know, doing all these things. Like what was the, the, the turning point? I think the turning point was moving into our uh, larger facility, mm-hmm. not the one we're in now. Okay. Um, a medium-sized facility, yeah. 4,200 square feet. So you could do the volume. Yeah, we do the volume. We hire the staff. I would say it was year like four. Yeah. There was this kind of feeling where we're like, okay, we have a long road to go. 
It's not going to be easy, but like this brand is going to fucking make it. Yeah. And you know, and it was winning awards that helped. We mm -hmm. won our first good food award mm -hmm. um, in San Francisco, which was fantastic. Yeah. We all went down and we wore our suits and cried and raised this thing up and drank way too much booze. And you know, I think we <laughs> threw some things off of a hotel roof that night. So sorry, San Francisco. Um, and it, you know, we won that award. Eli, this is one of Eli's stories, but we win that award and some guy walks up to him and is like, Hey, do you have a wholesale of uh, uh, order form? I, I represent market of choice. Okay. And I want to buy your salami. It's amazing. And Eli's like, absolutely. I didn't bring one with me. Can I email <laughs> it to you later? And we went back to the hotel and like Googled wholesale oh. order forms and made one <laughs> <laughs> and sent it to the market of choice person. You know, but that's what I mean. That's part of what it takes. Everybody looks and they expect like success just to come, but you got to work for it. You got to grind. You got to fake it till you make it. You got to pretend like you know what you're doing and then like figure it out and work on it. It's like a, flying a plane and making repairs while it's still in the air. There's an analogy I've heard constantly. And, yeah, man. Um, and I, I, there's still so much I want to get out of you. I feel like you still have so much more incredible wisdom, but we only have so much time. Anything else, anything else to get out before we move on? Um, no, I mean, why do why are there twelve businesses that, that I'm involved with now? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's not the smartest decision. Um, I also I didn't build my company to yeah. be a, a pyramid. Mm -hmm. I'm not the CEO of yeah. Nate Tilden. You know, you know, restaurants. Uh, Michelle and Eli are bigger operators of Olympia Provisions by far. I'm like the restaurateur that goes and sits in on meetings sometimes. I mean, I'm I'm here every single day, I and mean, we're in the office right yeah. now. Um, no, you know, I mean, to get out. Um, I don't know, man. Chase your dreams. Yeah. Be crazy. Go yeah. after it. So, what, I mean, what, a couple of the things that were mentioned is your ability to be to, to do what you're doing is the, the fact that you're a great employer. So, what is the what is a great employer? Don't fuck your employees. Okay. Mentally or physically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what does that look like, real quick? Uh, you know, we're in the hospitality business. You have to have hospitality towards your staff. Mm -hmm. You can't do what you do without your staff. Mm -hmm. I genuinely care for everybody yeah. I, I care for these people you know occasionally someone does something to us that's so bad you know i mean i've fired you know dozens and dozens of people in my career it's one of my jobs um i've only fired like maybe three people in my entire career that i was like leave here and never ever ever come back and they were doing bad things yeah they were stealing from each other one was touching some uh, uh, females in a, a sexual manner yeah and, you know, bad stuff, things you cannot do. But that's that's a lesson right there. As soon as you get that bad egg, as soon as you get that one person that does not match the culture, you got to get rid of oh, them. cancer. Yeah. You, you cut them out. Mm -hmm. You stick a, a 2,000 degree, you know, piece of metal in the wound. You cauterize that wound. Yeah. Yeah. I really want everybody. And I, you know, I've got, I've got employees I love. I've got employees I'm, I'm friends with. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm long, long time friends with, you know, they're my family. I've got employees I don't know that well. You know, I mean, we've got about 600 people in our whole, you yeah. know, if I count all the restaurants plus OP meat operations, um, I genuinely want them all to do well. Mm -hmm. Even the ones that like, I like all my employees, uh, but there's some that I'm like, you know, I don't know. You're kind of an idiot. Yeah. You know, I, I'll see you in the Tahoe uh, buffet line in 20 <laughs> years when you're slopping, you know, mac and cheese into <laughs> yeah. the chafing dish kind of thing, you know, bless their hearts. I hope they figure it out but I genuinely want them to do well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I let somebody go recently. They were not working out and they were not doing good things to themselves and they were enabling themselves through the restaurants and we, they had to go. Mm -hmm. We said, don't do this. And they did it again. And it was clear that they had to go. Mm -hmm. I genuinely want that person to solve their problems, to get over their addictions, to get past their pro their yeah. thing 
and to like, I want to see him in 20 years yeah. and have them be like, Hey, I'm great. When you fired me, it really, you know, woke me up. And yeah. I, I thought, Jesus Christ, I can't be a complete idiot. Yeah. And I, uh, here I am. I'm successful. That That is a fantasy that I literally have. And, you know, and I'm, I, I don't mean to say that in a way of like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm so altruistic. And like, I really want, you know, I just, I literally, I just want people to do well. Yeah, I love it. And before we go to this B-Round, uh, in the past 23 years, how has Nate Tilden transformed? Um, I've just grown into the person that loves what I do and knows what I'm doing. I mean, I know who I am. I know who I am. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a huge transformation. Beautiful. I'd say I spent a lot of those 23 years not knowing who I am. And that's what it takes. It takes a few years of not having a clue, but getting out there, living, traveling, exploring, trying things, realizing that's not your thing and then trying new things and yeah. you'll find it, but you, you got to get out there and you got to live and you, you got to do Yes, and this has been a great conversation. There's been some really good nuggets, uh, that's for sure. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and community communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into soundtrackyourbrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it's factor or habit of trait, a characteristic you most believe contributes to your success? It is... My ability to deal with crazy shit and stay positive. I love it. I do it every day. <laughs> what is your biggest weakness? Uh, getting too thin, spreading myself, um, trying to make things work, and just like just getting punched down. Yeah. But it, it's thinness. You know, if I go to eight eight different businesses in one day and I have the same conversation in all eight of them, yeah. You know, 
the dishwasher's broken or whatever it is. You know, this person is unhappy. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it, it thins me out. I hear you. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? I ask where people want to be when they're later in life. Okay. And what are you looking for? I'm looking for, I'm looking for someone who tells me an honest answer. You know, if someone says, oh, later in life, I want to, you know, be working pantry for you here at Clyde Common. I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I want to know who they are as people. Yeah. I want to, I want to hire great people. I want to hire people that are family members. I want to hire people that gel with us. They can be a great worker and not be a great family member. Um, I, I want both. I want a great worker and I want a great person. So I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm curious what they feel like they're going to be doing when they're 45 years old. If I'm okay. talking to a 20 year old. Okay, cool. What is, uh, your biggest challenge today? Um, underperforming restaurants. How are you dealing with that? It's a, it's a puzzle, you know, there's so many different factors. I mean, we've got, you know, I've got a place that's awesome. It's amazing. I love it. It's, you know, it's doing okay. It needs to be doing a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And we've gone through some changes, gone through some kitchen changes, gone through some management changes. Um, what's the, what's the factor that's going to push it into that area where it's just performing better. Have you ever had a closer restaurant? Yeah. I've, I've closed one. Okay. Yep. Horrible experience. Very expensive, hard, hurt. Yeah. It hurt. I was also, I was building um, another restaurant while this restaurant was going down. And I was like literally running to the failing restaurant and being like, what's going on? Yeah. We were, you know, we just lost $22,000 in our bank account. What happened? Yeah. And it closed. Oh my God. That was a dark time. Uh, we sold that restaurant to Olympia Provisions okay. at a serious discount. Um, it was the biggest financial loss of my life. And I'm using that as a great lesson because you never waste a crisis. Mm-hmm. What was the um, lesson? You know, losing that much money, I still owe money. I owe, I owe my mom money. Um, and she's cool. She's like, hey, whenever. But like, I'm going to pay her. You yeah. Know, I, owe, I owe her $50,000. Um, and that lesson was, yeah, be careful. Be mm-hmm. careful. Go after it. But like, you can, you these things can fail. Yeah. And if everything's not done perfectly um, and you're not able to be in there to like elbow grease it into success, then like, don't do it. Mm-hmm. So, that failure helped me be successful, not yet financially, but spiritually, I'm in a better place today by far than I was, you know, this was two years ago. Glad to hear it. Uh, so what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? Um, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Biggest lesson from that book? <laughs> um, that hospitality is free. Got it. What is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? Actually, can I jump back to that last question for yeah. just a quick second? Because I wrote something down too that yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, when you're building a, a, a business and you're really stressed out, read about war. Because mm. this is why. I was reading Neil Stevenson's Cryptonomicon. Um, and there was you know, this th- chapter about moving you know, 40,000 troops across the Atlantic to, to storm Normandy. Mm-hmm. It was World War II. And I was so stressed out about getting the hood system installed and what the color was going to be on that thing and that the, this person was unhappy with this person and they're both mad at me because I wasn't taking sides. You know, it was one of those dark, dark moments. I was also, you know, I was, I'd lost 30 pounds because I was starving to death. I didn't have enough money to feed myself when I was building Clyde Common and I was too proud to go to my parents and say, hey guys, I know you already lent me money. I need a little more Yeah. <laughs> because literally I'm starving. Yeah. And I'm reading this thing about moving troops, World War II, and I'm like, what am I worried about? Yeah. Dude, move 40,000 troops secretly across the Atlantic Ocean to, to, to storm Normandy and to fight back the Germans. That shit's hard. Yeah. What I'm doing, 
Eh. It's all relative. It's man. all relative. And we get all in our head and we freak out. And the big picture, it's just like, wait a second. Yeah. Open an arrest. Get some perspective. Yeah. So if you're stressed out and you're building a business right now, pick up a good World War II book and just yeah. think about how much harder that is than yeah. what you're doing. Awesome. Um, so, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? Be nice to people, including each other. Sure, customers are going to you know tip you, or they're there. We're there to provide for them. Mm-hmm. But if you can't treat each other with hospitality, then you don't know about hospitality. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Um, I'm sorry, I said one again. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Um, kind of dived into it a little bit with the, the bar talk. Yeah, yeah. This is, a, I'm not sure if this is lining up exactly, but this is a lesson that I do teach the, the team. Um, it's, a, it's a lesson I, I learned and no one taught this to me to hold me this, but this was a good one for me. Do the worst job, the one that you hate the most, really well. And at one point, you'll never have to do that job again. <laughs> okay. If you hate sweeping floors, become an amazing floor sweeper. Yeah. And then someone goes, hey, you know what? You're doing a great job sweeping floors. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah can, I, can I promote you to come do this other challenging thing? Yeah. And then you're no longer a floor sweeper. I dig it. So do the shitty job. Really like clean that bathroom. Man. Awesome. Clean it. I love it. Uh, what is one online resource or tool you're leveraging? Um, you know, social media, of course. Um, I feel like myself, I'm not a great computer person. Yeah. I have a hard time with some of this stuff. But understanding what Instagram can do and how important those stories are. Absolutely. And it all comes down to communication. Yep. You know, we're super jazzed about this thing that just came out of the ocean that we're now, you know, grilling in this beautiful fireplace. But unless we can really tell that story and get it out there, then people aren't going to know and they aren't going to come in and they don't get a chance to experience it. I love it. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurants and how is it having a positive influence? Um, you know, uh, one of my spots has not had reservations and we're now going through uh, the process of bringing in a reservation system. You know, there's open table yep. and there's talk and resi and all that stuff. Um, we're trying a few different things, but seeing how much interesting uh, flexibility these new reservation systems have, like selling tickets yeah. or, you know, doing a thing like, let's say on Monday, we're going to like do this crazy thing where we cover your table. Yeah. We, we are doing this called Tapa Lunas at my Spanish bar, Bar Casavale. Um, we cover your table atop us and it's this like wonderful celebration. We high pour chocolate and cider and we just get messy with it and it's awesome. And people didn't know about it. Now you can go online and you can buy a ticket to Tapa Lunas. You're using talk? Uh, we're, we're with talk right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. How, okay. We'll see. Sweet. We'll see. Uh, what, what else are you looking at? Uh, Resi. Consider right now. So Resi has the, op- the option to do a ticket deal they do okay and so does open table okay we're, we're looking at, at all of these um we're a pretty small place and so some of the some of these uh platforms are built for larger okay. restaurants with like a lot of tables gotcha. to reserve where we like we want to reserve a couple tables a night and give you the opportunity to buy so, a special cool thing we're doing i'm just gonna call you out because you made the the weird hand movement of it's so so talk and the purpose of this podcast is to share like good critique like we're it's not like we're not here to like you know, kiss anyone's ass. We're sure, here to give sure. good rec. So what is it about talk that is so-so? So I think talk is built for restaurants with more tables okay. to reserve. Yep. And talk, um, their reservation system doesn't necessarily um, choose a table automatically and then hold that table for a certain amount of time. Okay. There's more um, human work to be done every single day with talk to like figure out, you know, overnight this flow of reservations came in, where are you going to put these people inside, outside at the bar? Um, and then, you know, how long is that table going to turn? Okay. 
Um, I've also, one of our managers has stepped in to take on this project because I've been working on it for like six months and I'm like, I don't know. I, yeah. When do I have time to get in there and like, you know, figure out the reservation system? Just meaning what I'm saying is I'm too thin. I, yeah. I need help. I need someone to own it and see it through. Um, so yeah, so talk might not be the right platform for us. Um, our experience with, with them has been great. Uh, Communication has been great. And I believe that they have a great vision. That they're yeah. going to go places. Have you heard, checked out Reserve? No. Okay. Don't uh, count them out because I think they're doing some pretty cool stuff too. They might be able to. And that's reserve, not just, res- just re- Yeah, just reserve. Yeah, okay. check them out. Cool. So this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Yes. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, number one. I would say opportunity is just around the corner. Opportunity is just around the corner. And by that, I mean, everyone gets opportunity. Uh, I've talked to so many, you know, people who are like, man, I never got a shot. Yeah. Bullshit. You had a shot. You weren't ready for it. Your eyes weren't open. You weren't wearing your steel toed boots that day. You know, this great opportunity came by and you just weren't ready for it. And you didn't even realize it was there. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets a shot. Mm -hmm. It's just around the corner. Eyes open, boots on. You're hungry. You want it. You want to make this work. You want to do your thing. You want to be creative and, you know, success and financial success. And, oh, my God, you did this amazing restaurant. I, you know, win awards. You fucking make it happen. Yeah. And and the opportunity is just around the corner. It's up to you. What's number two? Do. do. You've already said do, but I'll say it again. Yeah. Do what you think you love and keep trying. Mm. Keep going after it. And what's number three? Practice positive thinking. And if you have to uh, be delusional, if you got to fake yourself out to do that, then do it. Yeah. But you know, yeah. if your thoughts are positive, your your result is positive. Absolutely. And it, it whatever is happening inside you is happening what's it's happening outside of you. Yeah. And it's affecting everyone you're around. You're not going to attract on the people you need to, to, to pull it off. You got to stay positive. You got to stay positive. It's huge. I've got I've got I've got an inspirational poster in my office and I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's like you know, think positively and that's going to affect your your thoughts and your thoughts are going to affect your words and your words are going to affect your inner actions and your actions are, are going to affect um your 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 uh, you know your life yeah. and that's going to affect your legacy absolutely think positive you have a positive legacy and just even beyond your words your energy you know the low road the the body language the pheromones all these things that we're putting out that we don't even realize yeah. you know it all comes off of that mental uh stability positivity it's huge your time is too short in this world to to dwell on the stupid bullshit beautiful man i've loved this conversation thank you so much nay uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out so who's one independent restaurant operator somebody you admire and think would make a great guest mentor on the show oh man there's a bunch of them brian steelman uh from port k now he is a, he, he talk about positive thinking yeah. he is an amazing human being uh, he's out there changing the world. Beautiful. Uh, Anthony Ment down in um, uh, uh, Mission Chinese down in San Francisco. Uh, yeah, Kristen Murray. Brian, Anthony, Kristen. Yeah. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, how can we follow you and what you're up to? Maybe we want to come join your team. What's the best way to do it? Uh, get a hold of us. Uh, yeah, shoot, shoot me an aim, email, Nate at ClydeCommon.com. Nate at ClydeCommon.com. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Nate. Tilden, N-A-T-E-T-I-L-D-E-N, or um, I might go back to the numbers. I'm not sure what episode this will be, so let's listen to the outro. Maybe I'll share the episode number. You can do Restaurant Unstoppable slash episode number two. Nate, thank you so much, man. Uh, It's been a blast hearing your story, hearing your advice. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable.
Awesome. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. There you go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurants Unstoppable. Nate Tilden, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. A lot of great lessons to take away from this one. I think there is a clear overarching principle of just positive thinking, positive energy, making the most of bad situations, and just keep on going. And if you really want it, like you says, put those steel toes on. And make it happen and take opportunities. Uh, be ready for opportunities, like he says. Uh, also, I really like this idea of getting out there and trying everything that you think you love. Uh, if you think you love it, lean into it. There's only one way to really find out, and that's by doing it. And eventually, you will find that thing. But the only way you'll, you'll be able to find your true passion is by getting out there and experiencing the world. So... Uh, you know, keep your liabilities low, stay mobile, keep yourself in that position where you can act on opportunity and be ready for opportunity. Great stuff today. Uh, the other thing I think is worth bringing to the surface before we say goodbye is the idea of partnerships and how to set yourself up for success in partnerships. Really get clear about what your vision is and make sure everybody has the same vision. Make sure everybody speaks. Make sure everybody knows where you're headed because if people are pulling in different directions, you'll get nowhere. But if everybody has that end goal in mind, that, that picture of where everybody wants to be in X amount of years from now, then everyone can pull in that direction. So get crystal clear about your expectations and where you want to go with the people you're going into business with. It is crucial. Awesome stuff today. Again, Nate, it was such a pleasure making an example of you and your dedication to your craft and your determinism to follow your dreams and ask yourself, wouldn't it be cool if, man, I loved it. So like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. But the best way to support this mission of inspiring and empowering and transforming our industry is by sharing this resource with anyone and everyone you know aspiring to do great things in this industry. You are the average of the five people you surround yourself with and at Restaurant Unstoppable, you can surround yourself with the best. Alright guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>